2: Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, the Tour Championship DraftKings picks preview, and an attempt to break down the proper strategy of what's going to happen in this 30-man field with wonky DraftKings pricing. If you want to get into a draw for 20 DK dollars, here's what you do: smash the like button for the episode, leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section, and you know, give me like a two-line description of the strategy that you're taking this week in case Rick and I haven't thought of it and. I look at it, I'm like, hey, that's a pretty good idea, I'm going to copy that one, so I mean, you don't have to release all your secrets, but if you're spitballing something, leave that in the comments section, boom, you're in the draw for 20 DK bucks, just like you are, if you rate on iTunes, five stars, subscribe to the podcast first, rate five stars, review it, DraftKings handle, something nice about the show, boom, you're in that draw as well, no PME open this week on DraftKings, because, I mean, I barely know what I want to do this week, I I mean, I don't know what I want to do, hopefully after this conversation, I have a better idea of that, and you do too, I do want to recommend that everyone, right now, if you become an annual member of FantasyNational.com, uh, it brings you all the way through the Tour Championship next year. You get that full scope of golf, and I'm not going anywhere for the swing season. We're going to have DraftKings shows for every single tournament trying to win those big bucks and as you may know using those fantasy national tools that the swing season can be uber profitable to find out the sleepers that no one else is on that's how you learn about all these players that are up and coming graduating from the web tour or just starting their season off hot that you want to get on it was extremely successful the last two years i have no doubts that it's going to be successful for a third year in a row so fantasynational.com, get it in you become a member today Joining me on the line, someone who has created the craziest Excel sheet that I've ever seen, Rick Gaiman, at Rick Run Good from DFS. No, you're now, are you at Rick Run Good or are you at DFS On Demand now? Now I can't figure it out.
1: Sorry, that's my fault. At Rick Run Good, the site is still DFS On Demand. (laughs) All right, so go there and check
2: everything out. So Rick has been, is this the most you've ever nerded out over anything in your life?
1: Oh, maybe the match plays close. I nerd out over the match play and trying to figure out how to get the right guys from the what right co- uh, quadrants and all that stuff. But this is very close to that.
2: So. Just to break it down, like Justin Thomas is $15,500. People don't know. People are starting at different spots on the leaderboard. And at the very end of the show, I'll go over some of my bets here uh, without the stroke adjustments because I want to get your take on that too, Rick. But $15,500, he starts with a two-stroke lead over Patrick Cantlay. The starting position has been factored into the DraftKings price. So Justin Thomas, because he's $15,500, starts with a... 30 point bonus for being in first place he doesn't get credit for any of the scoring any of the birdies or any of the bogeys or anything like that but he'll start with an extra 30 points Patrick Cantlay will start with an extra 20 points now that could immediately flip if Justin Thomas bogeys the first hole and Patrick Cantlay Eagles the first hole this is a hypothetical scenario that all of a sudden Patrick Cantlay would have 30 bonus points plus he'd have those Eagle points where Justin Thomas would have a negative and he would lose 10 points at the same time Uh, and then we scroll all the way down to like the bottom of the list and we're not used to seeing players below $6,000 but that's what we have have this week, and that's how you can construct your rosters properly, but you've ran a lot of algorithms on this, and I'm looking at your Excel sheet right now. Paul, do you want to bring up the Excel sheet just for a second so people can get an idea of this? If you're watching the video version, this is what Rick has created here. That I had to put in a 99th percentile performance from Jason Kokrak in order to get him into the winner's circle, so I thought that was kind of crazy. So how are we going about this? Uh, just, just to start off from there. So yeah, if I go 99, boom. Oh no, I put in 9,999 that's not good you can see how this, how confused everything has me already yeah that's how he wins a 99th percentile performance from Cockrack he can finish first that's very unlikely <laughs>
1: Yeah. And, and quite honestly, I mean, a 99th percentile performance uh, for Jason Kokrak is something like gaining 16 or 17 strokes on the field this week, which is something he's never even come close to sniffing. And that also assumes that every single other golfer in the field plays to their average. Um, A lot of assumptions that we're making here. So I think we have to look at it two ways, Pat. Um, First of all, straight up to win, like, like you're like to make a bet to win this. I I think there's probably only five golfers who can theoretically win this without some type of ridiculous outlier, uh, or something very specific happening where the top four guys have like their worst tournament of the year, things like that. There's only probably five guys who can actually win the golf tournament, but draft King scoring, uh, you nailed it where they're only going to start with that bonus, uh, that, that Justin Thomas 30 point bonus. It's, it's not assigned to him. Uh, for the rest of the tournament he can lose it he can finish in in third second and his points will drop and he does not get the um, you know the 10 for example associated birdies with it that would already build into his his uh, DraftKings scoring so what we have to do I think on DraftKings is look at this from a hole by hole scoring situation um, because that's really what it's going to come down to and then depending on how that hole by hole scoring shakes itself out It's going to impact the finishing position, but I don't think it's going to be nearly as important this week.
2: So, if just on the whole, you wanted to say, hey, I'm going to apply my Sunday showdown strategy to the tournament this week, is that the closest comparison you think in terms of actual
1: theory to win this? I think it's probably the closest. I'm not sure how close it is, but I don't have a better strategy other than we're out here guessing and trying to figure out a new, you know, salaries are fifteen five or 5,000. We're trying to figure everything out on the fly. Um, closest established strategy is probably that round four showdown.
2: So I guess the biggest question right now is if we go to the top and we see Justin Thomas, we know he's in the lead. He's come second here before he's never finished worse than seventh at the tour championship at East Lake in three tries comes in hot, obviously, that do you have to have him on your team if you want to win here or is he a full fade because of that price and what that does to the rest of your team
1: yeah i'm actually i'm actually not sure you can have him on your team quite honestly um you're you're paying basically $3000 difference from JT to Patrick Cantlay for potentially 10 more finishing points um which as you mentioned and as i mentioned can go away in a heartbeat so what you really have to look at are guys that are just going to uh, rise up. It's almost like, you know, without having these, these scores in play, who's going to just score hole by hole draft King scoring. So if Justin Thomas goes out and just wins the 72 holes in draft King scoring anyway, sure. That's going to be great. And you're going to have to pair him with, um, you know, a Coke rack and, you know, I'm sure Justin Rose down there, he can, he can get into your lineup or something like that. But uh, it's, I think the pricing is really exaggeratedly wrong because it's based on, um, I guess that potential finishing position and where they start. And it's, it's too much of a difference between J- Justin Thomas and the rest of those guys.
2: So if we take strokes out of the equation, the North American books have now actually released odds and they have Rory as the favorite as seven to one. This is not him starting at minus five. This is him starting at even and everyone else starting even Thomas is eight to one. Brooks is nine to one. Rahm is 10 to one. Can'tley is 11. Dustin Johnson, 14. Hideki, 16. So, I came into the week thinking that if everything goes how it starts right now, and we're thinking about this in terms of DraftKings pricing, that the best chance, I guess you could say it's probably Brooks because he's the best player on earth, but in the way that you have to start certain amount of strokes behind, that you need one of your players to really go low one of these days, or the top to just implode, which at Eastlake is in it's in the it's in the range of outcomes but thomas has just played so well here over the year that i would think that someone needs to come and beat him if that's going to be the case and of the guys who have a chance to win rory would be that guy for me but it sounds to me like everyone's kind of on the same page with that
1: and i think they should be um rory is the only guy who legitimately has the upside to make up the number of strokes that he needs to make up Basically, what we've seen over the course of the last handful of years is you're going to need to gain at least 10 strokes on the field to win this golf tournament. When you start factoring in how many strokes you're starting back, Rory needs to make up something like 12 or 13 strokes on the field. And he's like one of the only guys who is in his starting spot that can actually do it. Now, when it comes to DraftKings scoring, which is a completely different animal, he should be the favorite because he does score more just hold a hold birdies, eagles, bogeys when you add it all up he averages more per tournament than anyone else in this field his upside is higher than everyone else is on the field so he should be your favorite he's going to be popular everyone's going to own him he's in the perfect spot so i don't think it's wrong you're just probably going to have to differentiate in different ways and there's a lot of ways to do it this week
2: yeah i think that's potentially the case so what are the best ways to differentiate your team and if people don't understand what we're talking about it's if you take the chalkiest lineup possible then all of a sudden that if you do And I mean, frankly, it gets to a situation where, look, uh, if you win a giant GPP and you split it with eight other people, you're still happy that you won. You would prefer not to do that, though. So leaving money on the table is obviously going to be the easiest way to go about that. But how much money are we talking about leaving on the table here?
1: Um, normally in a given week, I'd say it's 500 bucks makes you one of the most unique lineups this week. I think it might be a thousand or 1500. I've already made a couple of lineups that I'm really, really comfortable with, with that have 1500 bucks, uh, sitting there on the table. I think, I I don't think people are usually going to go that deep, no matter what we say, no matter what they do it, it is like the human nature to go up and try to spend as much as they can. People don't like to leave money on the table. They think they're leaving points on the table so i don't think it's anything crazy i don't think it's five six thousand dollars i think it's like a thousand or fifteen hundred
2: so in the case of not having to get your lineups duplicated uh we think that rory is going to be a very popular play one of the ways to do that is you can take the chalkiest guy on the board if you want you have to figure out ways around that one is leaving money on the table two is just not pairing him up with the next chalkiest guy and it does feel like justin rose is going to be the highest owned player in this entire pool
1: yeah, I'm not sure it's close. I mean, he's, he's, he's 6,900 bucks. He's one of the best players on the planet. Uh, as soon as the pricing came out, Twitter exploded and was like, well, Justin Rose, like lock him into every lineup. So um, yeah, you're right. If you, if you start Rory Rose uh, you better get really creative after that. Uh, Cause you're probably going to have the two chalkiest guys. I assume Rom will also be very popular. He's, he's kind of in a situation where um, his ceiling is very close to being able to get it, get him up towards the top of the leaderboard. And You know, outside of I mean, maybe outside of nobody, he's the hottest player on the planet.
2: Yeah, I'm just looking at the projected ownerships right now from FantasyNational.com. They have Rory at 37% ownership projection and Justin Rose at 41%. So I think I'm good that if I'm playing this to win, that I do want to have Rory because he has the potential to win where I don't think Justin Rose does, although the price is very intriguing. I understand why he's going to be the most popular play. I'm just not going to have any of them. That's just going to be step one, just X out Justin Rose and hope he doesn't go on a run.
1: Yeah. And, and I think when you get towards, you know, 6,900 and those guys below Justin Rose, believe it or not, you're actually not giving up that much on, um, on DraftKings points, like the whole by hole scoring, uh, these guys are all within kind of like five or seven points of a tournament. And if you look at upside, which is what you're trying to get when you're down there, someone like Sung J M, Im, someone like even Charles Howe, even someone like, um, Bryson, if you can kind of you know, look past the last handful of weeks, they have higher ceilings than guys like Tony Finau do when it comes to um, hole-by-hole DraftKings scoring. So there are the the guys that you want to pair Rory with or if you want to go down and get value, there's high-ceiling guys down there that you can get to. So
2: I think what I'm going to end up doing this week is basically pick four core guys, play them in every single lineup, and roll it out that way with a few other people sprinkled in, and then max out what I want to do in terms of salary cap. Maybe I set it like 4900 uh, and I don't have any team that goes beyond that. And then if my core four do hit, that's the way that I want to play. Just in the field the small, I don't want to start taking different branches of different things. And I think my four core guys are going to be Rory, Webb, Jay, and I'll figure out the other guy. But those three, those are the three that I really want to roll with here. I like, I'm trying to look like, are you going to play anyone that's above Rory in the pricing? Do you think?
1: Um, the one guy that I think is really interesting is Cantlay. Um, Cantlay, if, if, okay. So if we look at just like straight strokes gained and and where these guys currently stand, if, if they played five rounds and everyone played to their average, Cantlay would win this thing, right? He would overtake Justin Thomas four rounds. It's really, really close. I like that he only has to pass one golfer. When we start getting into these scenarios where you're playing – rom rory webb um obviously it's a little bit different on DraftKings scoring but when you're asking them to win a golf tournament you're asking for very specific situations to happen where like five or six guys kind of implode or play below average above them which is probably unlikely so i do like cantlay i think he fits the i think he fits east lake um somewhat well I think the course fit is fine he's obviously been playing well coming in he tried to chase down jt last week He's you get a three thousand dollar discount on him and he's one he's a heartbeat away from from first year and getting those bonus points. So he's probably the only guy that I'd consider above worry um, unless I was just sprinkling and trying to be really, really contrarian, which I don't think I'm going to do.
2: Well, if you want to try to find contrarian players on the list here, the ones that I'm seeing that are – everyone's going to garner ownership. There's only 30 players in this field. So, like, if you're at 15%, that actually makes you pretty low in terms of this. So guys below 15% that I have projected right now is Patrick Reed, who seems to be the least popular of all the expensive guys. Uh, Matt Kuchar coming in shockingly low. Uh, who else here? Gary Woodland, Mark Leishman, Abraham Anser, Charles Howell, Shez Revi, and Bryson would be the lowest ones that I can find uh, right now in terms of ownership projections.
1: So out of those guys, Woodland's kind of interesting. Um, he has one of the higher ceilings out of the names that you mentioned in terms of DraftKings, the whole by hole stuff. He can get hot. Didn't he fire up the leaderboards last week on, was it Saturday or Sunday, where he was like eight under? He, he's like that showdown type of golfer who can get you the birdie bonuses, which are going to be incredibly valuable this week. He can, he can um, you know uh, he kills par fives. It's, it's, it's up that we're looking for. So if he's one of the lower owned guys, you know, someone like a Patrick Reed, I can't even find a way to roster him. Even if you just call it, chalk it up to ownership. Um, Woodland is the one that sticks out of the, out of the names that you mentioned.
2: Well, the funny thing about Woodland is he's been very like Jekyll and Hyde as it pertains to his approach game, and I really do think this is a second-shot course. Like, he lost two strokes on approach in the final round of the BMW and gained 3.4 the round before. Lost one uh, in the second round of the BMW, but his four rounds previous to that, he had actually gained on approach. So I think I'm going to add Woodland to the player pool as well just to see how that ends up working out for me and building with the rest of my core, because I like how that build starts to work that allows me to – take two middling guys or even pay up for one other or pay down like in that sort of construct. I think with the players that I've lined out of the cheap guys, like Reeve was really good through two rounds last week. Uh, Then he was an absolute disaster on the weekend and cost me an awful lot of money because the rest of my lineup was really, really good. Uh, I might actually go back to him because it seems like everyone's just so bitter with him after his performance on the weekend at the BMW.
1: Yeah, I'm really torn on this. I I could go either way. I think I'm gonna get um, a little bit of exposure to him, but I'm not gonna be thrilled with it. Right? It's one of those situations where I'll just kind of grin and bear it. There's there's other guys here like Sung Jae will be really popular. He was like third in strokes gain total on the weekend, behind only JT and Cantlay last week. He was had a bad first round and really uh, played well the following three. But Reavy is interesting. I I think that um you know you're banking on that longer term form and the form that we have seen him go out and get away and then play for the first two rounds in. I'm not thrilled about it, but you'll you'll definitely have a leverage point. He's what? 5100 bucks?
2: Yeah, he's 51 Glover's 52. Glover actually rates out really well of all the bottom end guys. He actually turns out to be the best. But what about someone like Charles Allen, even 5k not playing well whatsoever? But we get him back in his home state. He's an infrequent visitor to Eastlake. He rarely ends up making the tour championship. But I think, like, skill set-wise, like, long-term form and his, like, baseline skill set actually rates out really well for this course.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. I I, I just don't like him compared to those other guys. I – there's there's almost two two sets of guys that are – uh are playing this week it's the guys that solidified their spot in the top 30 and kind of limped to the finish which i think charles howe did and there's guys that played themselves in like lucas glover like jason Kokrak, who you know even louis who had to you know make birdies on sunday had to play well over the course of the last couple of weeks to get themselves in here um i'd prefer to go with those guys the ones that have have, have shown it in Uh, really high pressure situations over the course of the last handful of weeks instead of guys that have kind of limped here or guys like an Abraham answer who you know had one really high finish that that got him into the position where he's at right now and he's probably looking around like oh crap like like now what Um, those are the types of guys that I'm avoiding answer Reed, and then the guys that limped in.
2: So the biggest thing that I looked at here as it pertained to Eastlake, I went back and I looked at all the winners and tried to come up with some sort of correlation between Eastlake and other courses. And shockingly enough, it was a Donald Ross course that I went back and looked at. And Sedge, the top end guys don't play Sedgefield all that often. But if you go back and look at the players that have gained the most strokes at Sedgefield over the years, all tend to play really well at East Lake, like Billy Horschel is like the Wyndham championship like one of the top five strokes gained, like ever at that course he's won the FedEx Cup Snedeker has won there twice someone like Webb Simpson that's why he's on my radar this week plus we're back on Bermuda Greens which I really enjoy uh, he's won that event before Patrick Reed is really the one that sticks out to me that I know he doesn't have a good East Lake history but is he just playing so well right now that you kind of give him the benefit of the doubt knowing that he's going to be the cheapest of all these guys and he is still within striking distance of actually winning this event
1: he is within striking distance, but if if you actually go look at what he's going to need to do compared to like his long-term form, he's gonna have a pretty he's gonna need like a, a 90th percentile finish, which we've seen him do once, but it happened to be like three weeks ago at the Northern Trust, right? So you're you're basically asking him to go out and have like the second best tournament in the last 18 months, after the first best one was like three weeks ago. I don't know how likely that is. I think because he thrust himself towards the top of this leaderboard um, by winning the Northern Trust, he's now kind of, I don't want to say he's like wasted it, but he's, he's now priced accordingly. I'd like to see him, if he was, if he was starting at two under or, or one under, I'd almost like him more because I know his salary would, uh, would, would, would look at that and it would be a lot cheaper. So it's just, it's just too much for me. I don't think he really has a realistic chance of winning this golf
2: tournament. So I'm going to say Eastlake, Sedgefield heritage in the players championship just looking at sort of the track record from the Wyndham championship as well so Webb has won the players played okay at yep. Eastlake he has won two seconds at the Wyndham and a win uh, Jordan Spieth has won at uh, Eastlake he has a runner-up finish uh, at the Wyndham championship who else here Bill Haas has a runner-up at the Wyndham championship he's won Eastlake before as well like I mentioned Billy Horschel is another one Snedeker won that tournament twice played really well at the players this year so I, I think that's the route that I going to go. There does seem to be a, a very specific type of player who tends to do well with this course year after year.
1: Yeah, I, I like Webb. Um, Webb is one of these guys where if everyone just plays to their average, he's going to move up on the leaderboard. The guys above him, whether it's whether it's Abraham Anser, who is actually starting at minus four with him, um, Kucher's kind of you know struggling a bit right now by his standards. Webb's a guy, if you just play four rounds and everyone plays to his average, he's going to be moving up the leaderboard. So he kind of has a little bit of built-in safety for me. I, I suspect he's going to make... Uh, you mentioned he's going to be in your core, Pat. I think he's going to be in a lot of my lineups as well, just kind of as that plug and play safe option. I don't think I have to worry too much about Webb. I know he can compete in big fields. I know that he can show up and he's not going to kill me and then try to find ways to make lineups around that. I think he's a really good, just like safe plug and play.
2: Uh, When I ran uh, my modeling on Fantasy National and my key stats, I wanted to punch in this week. Do you know who ended up coming number one over the past 24 rounds? It's surprising, but he has won a player's championship in the past.
1: Uh, I mean,
2: it's not Rory, is it? It's Adam Scott. Oh, Adam Scott. That's terrifying. I don't want to use that guy.
1: No, especially, uh, you know, it's it's. The, the putter thing, I think, is a little overblown. I think he's obviously going to be using the flat stick. Um, I just think his his ceiling is a bit capped at this point, right? Like, if 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 you if we were trying to find out who's going to finish, like, T11, Adam Scott's your guy. Um, probably maybe even a little higher than this because there's only 30 guys in the field. But I just don't see how he gets there. Like, this is a big math problem that we're trying to solve. And there's very specific situations in which Adam Scott can fly up the leaderboard. And I don't really like any of them.
2: Uh, I think that Brant Snedeker is going to be incredibly popular, which I understand he's won at this course before coming off a nice finish last week. But he was such smoke and mirrors last week in how he actually ended up near the top of the leaderboard, shipping in on like three separate holes, gaining like five strokes putting in one of the rounds that I along with Justin Rose. If he's the one who kills me, he's the one who kills me. That's fine. But I think I might be putting an X through his name as well.
1: I think that's fair and I think there's a um, a decent pivot in Paul Casey who's I think only $300 more expensive than him which I haven't heard a lot of anything around Paul Casey and we've seen him get hot at times right and I'd, I'd much prefer a chasing Paul Casey which is the situation that he's going to be in um, he had a he had a lot of he was on the coverage a ton for PGA Tour Live last week watched a lot of him he was firing darts he always gets in trouble a little bit you know obviously his putter's bipolar um but he, he he can absolutely throw darts and we want to see him in a situation where he's got to make up five or six strokes which he's going to have to do out of the gate and i think he's a a guy in that mid seven thousands that no one's really going to be that interested in
2: yeah him and kevin kisner at sixty six hundred dollars I kind of caught my attention too if i talk about the players and i talk about heritage i mean those are kevin kisner courses shockingly he puts better on bent than bermuda but he's a pretty decent putter but the irons have been really good for like three months and no one's really taken notice yet
1: yeah, it's it, we've we've really just kind of, uh, I think, trained ourselves for we've now seen I think Jeff uh, made this point on your show yesterday. It's like we've seen the same guys for three or four weeks, especially the guys that had to play themselves in that. It's like if you played Rom two weeks ago, you're playing him again this week. It's, it's almost like we're just conditioned to continue to roster the same six guys or the same core um, without kind of looking at different scenarios. And, and I'm guilty of it, too. Right. But this is a, a completely different animal. Um, you know, you're going to own six of the 30 golfers are going to be in every single lineup, which is something we we only see once a year here. So, um, I'm, I'm encouraging you to throw out like all of your logic and reasoning that you've built up in your brain over the course of the last couple of years and, and try something new this week.
2: So the, I sorted by the last 12 rounds. So like who's hot right now with their irons. If we go through one to 10 in this field, it's Thomas. Cause they've all basically played the same tournaments now. So it is actually somewhat comparable. Thomas, Louis, Kisner, Finau, Scott, Connors, Webb, Casey, Shez, Brant Snedeker are your top 10 in strokes gained approach over their past 12 rounds.
1: And uh, I wonder where, I guess maybe it's not that many rounds or not enough rounds, but I thought Kokrak had been playing well with his irons as, as well recently. Does he pop up anywhere? I'm looking for him here. Kokrak
2: is number 21 over the past 12 rounds. But if you adjust him to like 24, he gets exponentially better and he's really good with these longer irons. He plays these longer par threes really well. I don't know what to do with Kokrak. I feel like people are going to be on him because they want. like, I want to actively root for Jason Kokrak. He got in Hmm. on the 72nd hole last week. He's a fan favorite people want to see him do well that that just sounds like a fate it's almost like Corey Connors like anytime that you can get anytime that you can play Corey Connors on like bent grass, play him uh, anytime that he's not on that he's not gonna play well
1: <laughs> yeah and and Kokrak at least I, I don't know how much I'll get to him uh, obviously he offers the salary cap relief but I think that at least the one benefit of him is his ceiling is pretty uh compared to his peers pretty good right he, I think he's got a higher ceiling than According to my my model here, Glover, Charles Howell, even Bryson, like his ceiling's pretty good. It's close. It's within a point of each of each other. But when when you go back and look at East Lake, like this is an absolute second shot course. It's it's don't miss the fairway off the off the tee. Don't get stuck behind the trees and be able to be able to hit your irons really really well. Um, and I like that. You know, there's some weeks that we can kind of discount hey core stats or the regression model or anything like that but this week with east lake it's it's been on the schedule for so long and it's almost always in the same conditions right we've seen the same score win this basically within a shot or two for the last like five or six years I think we know what to expect from Eastlake this week which makes this a little bit easier when trying to find these guys that are going to be course fits
2: and if we look back at those comp courses that I had mentioned earlier Kokrak was sixth at the Wyndham he was 16th at the Heritage and 47th at the Players so he's played these types of courses you could probably even throw a Valspar into that mix too I mean Bermuda Greens it's a longer it's a shorter course by yardage but being a par 70 it actually plays a lot longer than maybe people think it actually is
1: Yeah, and uh I think I think those course comps are are dead on. And and there's and I want to get your opinion on this pack because there's a guy sitting there that um we're I don't know how long into the show we're in, we haven't even mentioned yet. Dustin Johnson. Dustin Johnson. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know
2: what to do with a man like he's eighty four hundred bucks.
1: We we were gonna talk about twenty-nine of the thirty golfers and we weren't gonna mention Dustin Johnson, who's like, you know, one of the best players on the planet. Um I don't know what to do with him either. I, I think that this is a situation, I think you and I have talked about this. Are you going to be early or are you going to be late? And I'm, I usually tend to be early uh, and try to play these guys they pop, but really, really concerned about DJ at the moment. Um, his, his best strength, which is that off the tee game, has not been good. Um, I think he finally did gain strokes last week off the tee, but uh, he's had probably three out of his worst four rounds in the past 18 months have been like in the last six weeks. He's just been really, really bad off the tee, and when that's your one really legitimate weapon at a course that's going to require you to be so good, um, I'm really, really nervous about it.
2: Yeah, so he ended up gaining at the BMW Championship 0.5 in round two, 1.3 in round three, 1.9 off the tee in round four. So the driving has come back, but the irons are suspicious, to say the least. Lost 0.6 of a stroke round one, lost 0.3 of a stroke in round two, lost 3.1 in round three and 2.5 in round four. Those irons, like, he just seems off. It's really strange because Dustin's, we always think of him like as a robot, but it seems like someone threw some like sand into his supercomputer or something. Like he can't get all four facets of his game on the same page, which is just so peculiar for him. Like everything that we project onto Dustin Johnson, like historically and the type of player that he is, is essentially what Rory has been doing all year.
1: Dude, the fact that Rory is starting this tournament in like five shots back, uh, he's had the best year out of almost everybody. I know he doesn't have a bunch of wins to show it, but he's been unbelievable. Um, to go back to DJ, I think that, you know, he lost something like six and a half strokes on approaches last week, whatever that adds up to it was the worst, the worst approach tournament I have in my database, which is like at least three and a half or four years long. So I don't know. I, do we, do we call that an outlier and say, Hey, he's going to bounce back. I mean, approaches is usually something that remains relatively sticky. I wouldn't expect him to lose six again, uh, this week, but what if he loses two or what if he only gains one? I mean, I think there's Uh, a real concern and then yeah, Rory is not human. He he's the robot.
2: So, I could be talked into that being an outlier performance from Dustin Johnson. That would make a lot of logical sense. And he's someone who's played East like really, really well over the years too. So I can get on board with that. If people want to take Dustin Johnson, I'm not going to talk him out of that. But I just look at Gary Woodland, who I've been kind of sold on at this point. He's $400 cheaper. He's playing better and he's going to be less popular. So I think that move just makes a lot more sense to me.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm interested to see what that Dustin Johnson number is. I mean, obviously, name value goes a long way, but um, to stick him down there in the in the mid eights and and we kind of know he hasn't been great recently. I don't know what that number comes in at. Um, Do you have it up there?
2: Yeah, I have him as the highest owned guy of the 8K range. The only guy who's close is Tony Finau at 8,800 bucks. Like they're both at like between 22 and 28 percent. Where Woodland, I have projected between 10
1: and 15. Yeah, that's that's tough when you get when you get a guy who's half. The projected ownership, like Gary Woodland, as as you're indicating here, and in what might be a better situation, it might be playing well. It's it's really tough to kind of flip back and go to the other guy. So he might just be, um, you know, check uh, DJ might just be crossed off my list at this point.
2: I'm going to be very it's going to be very funny when we see the actual ownerships from some of these big contests and they're just completely flat like there's no player over 25 percent no player below 17 percent it's like oh fantastic
1: (laughs) and it's possible I don't know how many lineups you've you've started to build already like you can basically make any lineup that you want even if you if you play JT you play Justin Rose like you'll have to fill it out with with some of these guys down at the bottom but like you can find hot guys down at the bottom so you can make almost any lineup that you want. I I mean, I've made great lineups. Like I mentioned, leaving 1500 on the table. I'm sure it's going to win the, you know, the hundred or 200,000 this week. So it's, it's kind of crazy what you can do. All
2: right. Let's talk odds without the actual, uh, starting, because that's out here right now. Like I mentioned, Rory 7, JT 8, Brooks 9, Rom 10, 11 for Cantlay, 14 for Dustin 16. uh, For Hideki, 18 for Scott. Finao's at 20, so is Webb. I bet Webb, but I'm starting to think that maybe I should get on Gary Woodland. Gary Woodland's 50-1 to straight up to win this event. I'm going to bet on that, too. Those would be my two two plays of the week, I think. Uh, Woodland at 50 and Webb at 20, because Webb is being offered at 20 based on his starting position odds. Like, if Webb is good enough to come back and win this event starting six strokes behind or whatever he is, then he should theoretically just win outright too, I would think.
1: Uh, one would think, I, and and to even have him, we haven't even kind of talked about this little narrative yet, but to have the guys that are going to be chasing from, you know, tee shot number one on Thursday morning and how that's going to change their, their mindset. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't even try to bother to get into these guys' heads and say, Oh, they're, you know, he knows he's two shots back, or he knows he's got to make up six shots. I don't even get into that. But uh, to be able to get Webb Simpson, where you know he's got to kind of be foot on the pedal, um, and then do it without having the, the built-in strokes, like that's a that's a no-brainer. They're the same odds. Um, I'd like to, what's what's Hideki at? I thought I saw him at like twenty-five.
2: Yeah, Hideki's sixteen without starting uh, strokes.
1: That might be too low. He might have uh, he might have had his like ninety-nine percentile performance last week.
2: Yeah. And still couldn't win. Of course I would have the, of course I would have bet him to win last week when he has his best ever performance and still can't win. That's fantastic news.
1: Yeah. And there, there's some guys down here that like, um, you know, without strokes, I I really do think Rory is the guy here. I'm not sure it's that close. I don't know if I want to bet him at eight to one. I think it's a little short. Yeah. would
2: Would you, would you bet Rory seven to one with no strokes or eight to
1: one with strokes? Rory seven to one with, with no strokes or rory eight to one with strokes no strokes
2: no right? strokes yeah that's what i'm yeah. thinking too but i mean I, I feel like there's a there's an angle on this i'm not seeing uh because that that doesn't even
1: make sense to me yeah he's he's five back or he's not and you're giving up one point yeah sure.
2: yeah that, that makes sense to me too right? uh did, did you look at doing any doubles this week with like hovland or people like fitzpatrick and stenson i i did a big one i did Webb at 20 without strokes. Hovland, Stenson, and Scott McCarron. And uh, my $6 bet pays $100,000.
1: Guaranteed okay, I, I tailed, I tailed a portion of that. I have not put in uh, any PGA doubles yet, but I have uh, Hovland, uh, Scott McCarron, and Henrik Stenson for like, yeah, I don't know what it is. Like a $4 bet pays out, I don't know, $2,600 or something like that.
2: Yeah, I think I'm going to make those triples as well. The doubles and I'll have Hovland, Stenson, Hovland, Fitz, and then I'll have the triple with McCarran on there with them as well. And I did bet it, Adam. I bet Adam Spenson 55 to one. Just you know, I love w- w- Adam w- w- with it. So do I. And like I went back and looked at the guys on the Corn Ferry Tour that have won this event, and it's like Hadley and Sang Moon Bay, like the the types of guys that Adam Spenson basically
1: is. Yeah, exactly. The the Tita green guys who can't putt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know what was I going to say here. Uh, I there There is something interesting with, and I, I think it's gonna take kind of a year to shake out and see where, okay, the the thing that I'm seeing on Twitter all the time is, oh, um Sung Jay's you know eight you know nine shots back or whatever he is. Um, uh, he's gonna fire at darts all, or fire at pins all week long, which is like I, I guess that's true. But like you know things can go wrong when you fire like there's a reason that not everybody fires at every single pin on every single shot. Uh, You know, leaving yourself with a 20-foot putt for birdie is a better situation than leaving yourself short-sighted. So, like, that could backfire in a big way. You might see these guys at the bottom try to go pedal to the metal uh, right out of the gate, and they might just lose even more ground.
2: Yeah, especially because of all the water hazards here. Like, we saw Brooks fire a 78 in one of the rounds last year that if you're just a bit off, whether it's off the tee or on some of these par threes, uh, that you're going to find yourself in the water, and you're just absolutely cooked at that point.
1: Yeah. So I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about that when you're going to try to load up on guys at the bottom, obviously there's, there's some that you can get to. I don't think you need to build lineups with, you know, three or four of them and, and try to force your, your, your hand into, into rostering JT. But, um, that, yeah, that's, that's the, the nature of starting these guys over the course of a 10 stroke spectrum is going to I actually think it introduces more volatility at the bottom and introduces more stability at the top because I, I don't think there's guy I think those guys are gonna generally stay at the top of the league.
2: All right. So, in conclusion, if we're doing this, we're not playing Justin Thomas, we're not playing Justin Rose, and I'm gonna lock in Rory and Webb, I think, on every single lineup. What, what would be your like just cold note strategy here?
1: Yeah. So, I, I love that. Um, Rory and Webb, I think, are great. Um, I'm going to, when I get down to the bottom, I'm going to try to get guys with upside that have played well coming in, whether that's Lucas Glover, whether it's Sungjae Im. Um, I will be avoiding the guys that are like Patrick Reed or Abraham Anser who vault up the leaderboard uh, with one good – uh, one good start recently but but i'm i'm focusing my attention strictly on all of these guys who can make a bunch of birdies in a row i do like gary woodland a lot now that you brought him up he's that perfect kind of sunday showdown type of player
2: yeah so i'm gonna probably lock in gary woodland along with that too kisner sung jm i have a lot of interest in i'll try to make my decision down at the bottom as it pertains like reevee or glover or coke rack which one of those guys fits the rest of it and you had mentioned casey as a potential low owned guy too
1: Yeah, I think I think Casey can just get hot. Um, You know, we've we've seen we've seen him do it at times. Right. I mean, I don't know how you want to define hot. Um, If you want to go back and look at I mean, the PGA Tour lets you look at like um, birdie streaks or I think they have a holes under par streak and and how many times they've done it this season like that might be a good place because finishing position this week, um, it's going to fluctuate so much and it's not, you know, the difference between a couple of spots might be one or two points um but like the birdie streaks are going to be critical the you know any round under par all that stuff is going to add up in a big way so if we can find these golfers who can get you the streaks um who can get you uh, i don't know if there's four rounds under 70 out there this week but things like that are really going to probably uh, differentiate the the winning lineups from everybody else
2: all right rick gaiman at rick run good on twitter dfs on is the site that you need to go subscribe to right now and check out all the golf info You'll be back during the swing season to break down these golf tournaments for DraftKings, but until then, pimp what you got going on.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all golf all the time now, so uh, the, season, the season doesn't stop for us. If you want the spreadsheet that Pat showed um, my latest, my preview video on YouTube, there's a link in the description. You can download it, play around with it. Uh, just going through and revamping and improving all of the tools for next season. I've got a lot of ideas up here in the brain that I'm going to put onto paper, so it should be a lot of fun.
2: All right, Rick, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for coming on all season long, and we'll talk to you very soon. I'm Pat Mayo. You can follow me at the PME on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. If you do that, review it five stars. DraftKings handle something nice about the show. You'll be in a draw for $20 DK Got a lot coming at you football-wise over the course of the next week, so get ready. Strap yourself in and feel the Gs. Because Jeff Feinberg will be in studio. The cust will be on the line. We got win totals. We got DraftKings strategy. Jake Sealy will be on to update all the rankings. More football content than you can handle. So check all of that out and share the show around. We need more, we need more people watching. So they too can have poor advice Then you can stop watching. You get two people to subscribe, you can stop watching. That's a deal I'll make with you. All right. Pat Mayo, good luck at the tour championship. I hope you figure out the proper strategy. I'll see you next time.
1: EXPERIENCE!